0: Luke chapter 2, verse number 21. Now, if you know your Bible, you'll recognize immediately that we're not in the Christmas story. We're actually past the Christmas story. And the Bible says in verse 21, when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God, and said, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about four score and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us gather in your house. Lord, I do pray especially tonight for those that are sick and those that are battling illness pray that your hand of healing and touch would be upon them, Lord, and that you give them strength for these days. I pray for those that are traveling, Lord, that are traveling presently and will be and will be returning soon. I pray that you would, Lord, give them safety. Keep it, Lord, protect them as they travel along perilous roads and 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 fraught with many dangers, Lord. I know we can trust you with them. and And, Father, that's what we're doing by praying and asking it of you. We're trusting you with these that are so precious to us. I pray you keep them safe as they travel. And, Lord, these many requests that have been given, my mind would fail me to remember even a tenth of what was mentioned tonight. But, Lord, I just pray that you would see to all of them according to thy will. There's not a thing that was mentioned this evening but what heaven took notice and that your divine mind made record of. And I pray, Lord, that you would attend to those things with your providence, with your power, with your wisdom. Lord, give us patience to see your will done in these matters. pray that you'd bless the preaching tonight. I pray it'd uplift the name of Jesus Christ Lord, I pray that when we leave here, we'd have a higher opinion of him. Lord, he'd be more precious to us, more wonderful to us, more worth it to us. Lord, we love you. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. We said a few moments ago, it's interesting to me to consider the position in the chronology of the Christmas story and the life of our Lord that our text here tonight deals with. Because, you know, and I suppose I think about this passage every time or every year about this time of the year. Here we are and and we're sort of in the in the Christmas hangover, I guess, to use caramel terminology. We're all still, uh you know, swim headed over too much chocolate and, you know, bread and cookies and things of that sort and. You know, our houses are still demolished. There's wrapping paper everywhere. And if you've got kids, your, your, your whole house is just a shrapnel field fraught with toys and pieces and, and danger and, and, and treachery. And, you know, we're sort of in the aftermath of the Christmas season. We're not yet into the new year. And I don't know about you. I've still not got my mind wrapped around 2024. I'll be writing 2023 for at least the next eight months. And we're getting ready to head into this new year, but we're almost in this little holding period between the Christmas season and between the new year. And it sort of reminds me of this little story given about our Lord eight days after his birth, before we really get into the meat of his earthly ministry, before we even move on into the single anecdote of his teenage years. There's just this little snippet, this little moment of narrative that is presented to us And I can't help but associate it with this time of the year and some truths that I learn when I read this passage of Scripture about what my perspective should be at this moment in time. We could probably say it this way. This may be a little too cute for some of y'all's taste, but I want to preach to you on this thought tonight. After the tree is down, in other words, after Christmas is done, the stockings are empty, the tree is down the the all the cookies are eaten everything it's just a a, a a nothing but self-loathing and remorse we're in that season now and what does that imply and impute to us regarding our attitude towards the lord and towards the things that we have had such a hyper intense focus on over the past 3 4 weeks you see when i read this passage of scripture i find that though the sort of pageantry of his birth is past, there are still some realities that are holding true about him, not just at this moment, but eternity future, and still hold true today. You see, we think about the Christmas season, and it's always a time when we talk about the Lord's person. We preach a lot about the incarnation. I love the doctrinal truth of the incarnation. One of the great tragedies of the Christmas season is that so much attention is given to pageantry and so little to his incarnation uh sort of the ceremony of it all is is often where the focus is and, and within that i think often there is sort of a a a, a a a you know reductionist attitude to the magnitude of the miracle that christmas was i mean it's an incredible thing that god compressed and condensed himself to the span of a virgin's womb and and dwelt amongst man and we've spent weeks now talking about his person but do you know this is true he's still jesus after the tree is down Just like he was when the tree is up. He's still the same miracle now that he was before. We often talk about his preeminence. And I spent a little while a moment ago doing that. We like as Bible believers, and I think this is appropriate, but we spend a lot of time talking about how he is the reason for the season, don't we? Uh, We spend a lot of time talking about, you know, how it's all about him. And if you're missing him, then you're missing everything, that he is the reason for this celebration, that he is the reason for this season. We talk about how worthy he is, how glorious he is, how amazing he is. But did you know that he's still worthy now, just like he was two weeks ago? We often talk about his purpose, why he came into the world. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We even read it in our text tonight that this man was set for the, the falling and rising again of, of many in, in Israel. That he, through his death, burial, and resurrection, would be a stumbling block to some through unbelief, but would be salvation to others through faith. And we often talk about how he wasn't just born, he was born to die. And that in the shadow of the manger you'll find the cross. And that it's all about why he came, he came to save sinners. But you know, he still saves sinners. Even after the tree is down. We always talk about his praise. One of my favorite sort of characters or or scenes in the Christmas story to preach about is the shepherds. I like the shepherds. Uh, For one thing, they actually were there at the birth. Amen. They were actually there at the birth. Not like two and a half years later, but we just throw them in anyway. So they, uh, I like to preach about the the shepherds. And uh, I I love to, to look at how Christ... Uh, came His his birth was announced to the humble, to the lowly. I, I like to think about those men faithfully standing their post on that cold evening and and how that the angels burst forth and appeared to them and what a glorious scene that would be. And one of the things I love to preach about about these men is their response. They immediately go, they verify that He is born, that He is who the angels said He is, and then they run around telling everybody about Him. What a beautiful picture that is of what Bible Christianity should look like. I mean, listen, hey, come and see, come and see what well, we've seen. And he's worth talking about. Can I say this? He's still worth telling others about. Not just when we have a cute little uh, social segue into it, but even in the cold days of January and February and March, he's still worth telling others about. And then oftentimes we'll talk about his providence. One of the fascinating things to me is to consider how that the divine hands of God so fashioned the wheels of human history almost like a tractor beam or like a funnel to, to just bring down everything to this perfect moment in time in which God would enter in to this reality and existence that he would walk in to the concept of time. And you think about some of the things that had to happen for that to take place the road system that had to exist, the, the universal taxation that had to be made possible by the Roman domination and the Pax Romana and things of that sort. And, and it's just amazing to think about the providence of God that every step of the way led them right down to this very moment in time. And I, you know, I don't know about you, man. I love to just think about his providence and how that God does everything perfectly, how that he's always in control. But can I remind you, he's still in control even after the tree is down. You see, here's the truth I want you to gain tonight. When I read about these three groups of people in our text, I'll learn about some things that are still the same even after Christmas is over. Some things that we give attention to during the Christmas season. But shame on us for not continuing on into a new year, into January, February, March, on and forward, rejoicing and serving and living for Jesus Christ. Because the same Savior and Messiah that was worthy of all that throughout the month of December is still worthy of it now. In these three groups of individuals, we learn some things that should remain the same even after the figurative tree is down, And I want you to notice them with me tonight. I'm going to say a word about each one and then be done. Notice verse number 21 with me. The Bible says, When eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her, that's Mary, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Look down at verse Number 24 with me, to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, we don't see their names mentioned in these verses that we've read. They'll be mentioned a little later on in our text. But there are two individuals that feature prominently in these opening verses of our text, and they are Mary and Joseph. I love the way the Bible says it in, in our text here that they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. They brought him to do for him this custom according to the law. In other words, what he could not do for himself at that moment by den of his incarnation and the situation he had providentially placed himself in, they, their responsibility as parents was to carry him to the temple and to present him before the Lord in obedience to the word of God if I was to use one word to summarize Mary and Joseph in this text, it would be the word responsibility. We have a group of individuals who are standing up to the task and they are even in these early days of roles as parents, they are fulfilling the responsibility that God has given them both as parents and as providential vessels of God to be used of God in this moment and in this time. Let me say this tonight. Listen, even after the tree is down, our responsibility... Remains the same. It's funny the things we'll give time, energy and attention to throughout the Christmas season. Uh, part of the reason we need uh, the whole month of January to not do anything is we're also slap worn out from doing stuff in December. Amen. <laughs> I've got to get everything fixed. I've got to get the house up. For some reason, we're going to hang lights on it and put dead trees in it. And we're going to got to clean up, got to clean up that room that ain't been touched since December of last year. And got to finally get all them boxes out of the way and going to have family over. We're just laboring with intensity so that all these things can transpire. And one of the things that I was privileged to watch this year is so many people labor for the work of the Lord. I really enjoyed our Christmas play. I'm not a Christmas play person, per se, but I think I am now. I enjoyed it that much. And uh people really labored. I mean, they really worked. They, they really put in the time, the energy, the investment. And it's funny how that even during the Christmas season, we will often labor so diligently to get people to come to church and to be in church with us because we feel as though the season provides a special opportunity to do so. Now, I'm not criticizing any of those things. I'm just merely saying this. It's still our responsibility to give him our all, even in January, just like it was in December. I see three things that they do here, and it reminds me of my responsibility to the Lord, even in these post-Christmas days. Look at verse 21. The Bible says this, When eight days were accomplished for the circumcising the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the, child, of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, what does that mean? Well, it was not until they brought him and presented him before the Lord that he would have been, according to the law, officially named. Now, they had been given these instructions months earlier. But now they are carrying through on the responsibility that God has placed upon them to bring him publicly before all and acknowledge him as God incarnate, as the Messiah, as the Savior. I don't know how much Mary understood of everything uh, that was entailed in this, but I do know she understood that this was no ordinary child, but that this was God in the flesh. This was Emmanuel. That's what the angel had said when the name was given and by them confessing his name is. Jesus and naming the child Jesus, they were acknowledging God's son. You know, we have a responsibility to be just as bold in our Christianity in January as we did in December. And, and I'm not trying to be too cynical about the, as we said a moment ago, the sort of social segues that are provided. I mean, I think any, any opportunity you have to give the gospel is a good opportunity to give the gospel. And I'm not trying to be cynical about it, but I'm just saying, listen, you don't have to be able to say Merry Christmas to witness to someone. You don't have to drape yourself in religious imagery and ornamentation to be able to have a segue to witness to someone. I'm, I'm conscious of the, of, of the opportunities that the Christmas season provides. But here's one of the things that I think is so troubling. I remember years ago when Starbucks started doing the, the happy holiday. I think they were one of the first ones that did it anyway. They started doing the happy holidays and uh, half of America realized that they were once Christian and got totally scandalized by it. And it, all of a sudden there was a war on the notion of, of saying happy holidays versus saying Merry Christmas. And you say, well, preacher, where do you fall on that? Well, if I had my brothers, you wouldn't be saying either. Amen. But <laughs> the thing that I found ironic about that is so many Christians behaved as though if they couldn't say Merry Christmas, they couldn't talk about Christ. Can I remind you, you ought to be talking about Christ no matter what the season is. And again, I'm not trying to be cynical about the opportunities. I understand. I'm well aware But you have a responsibility to be bold in your Christianity every other month of the year, just like you do in December. Oftentimes we're coming into the Christmas season, we're going to see loved ones that we don't see at any other time. And I understand the sort of urgency that that can sometimes endow upon us in feeling as though I have an opportunity to witness to someone that I don't get to see every day. I'm not scoffing at that. I'm not scorning that. I'm not being cynical about that. But, you know, you don't have to wait till Christmas to witness to people. You don't have to wait till Christmas to be able to share the gospel with some. They had acknowledged him as Emmanuel even before, and they're still acknowledging him now. I I would say our responsibility to acknowledge God's son remains the same. Look at verse 22. The Bible says this, when the days of purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem. To present him to the Lord. Now, there is the name of location that is not mentioned in that text, but it is strongly implied in that text. Because if you know the Old Testament law, you know that it was not merely entering within the bounds of the city of Jerusalem that was important. Rather, what they were doing was bringing him to the temple itself. So they're bringing the Christ child to the temple to present him before the Lord and to apply the name that the angel had given and to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God for this child. In other words, let's say it this way. They're going to church. Now, I'm not going to lean too hard on this because I already told you I like y'all. It's all them folks laid out that I'm upset at. I like you all, so I ain't going to beat up on you. But I will say this. Uh, we have every bit as much responsibility to be faithful to God in January. And to his house in January, as we do throughout the Christmas season. I think it's wonderful. I'm always for people to come into church, most people, and and I, you know, I I think it's great. I mean, I do, I enjoy it. You know, I like it. I come in, have a bunch of good people and big crowds, and all that's good. But can I tell you something? He's worthy of our faithfulness even now. When nobody's paying attention, when there's no special programs, when there's no special activities, when there's no special parties. When none of that is going on, he's still worthy of our faithfulness to his house. Hey, listen, they weren't just going to the temple when they were with child. They were going to the temple even afterwards. I would say that we still have a responsibility to attend God's sanctuary. But then notice verse 24. Now, why did they do this? What did they go to do? Well, the Bible says they went to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So what were they doing in sacrificing to the Lord? Well, this was an activity of service. They were serving the Lord by doing this. The law had made incumbent upon them this offering of of gratitude or of thanksgiving that was to be given at the birth of a child. And they were serving God in bringing this unto the Lord. And I would just remind you, hey, listen, I'm going to move on. But our responsibility is the same even now to apply ourselves to God's service. He's worthy of us serving him now just like he was. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, a month ago. Uh, we often in our, in our church, I don't know why it's this way. I guess because we do our camp ministry and just the way that the year falls. But for us, the months of June and July are times of intense service around here. We do our, our church camp up Big Ridge and, and that's an all hands on deck thing. And, and then we do, it's, we come back and we, and we sleep for about two hours, then get up and have vacation Bible school. And, and, you know, that, that period of time is a time of intense service. And I appreciate the faithfulness of God's people in stealing themselves to step up to that task. I'm not doing anything to denigrate the level of commitment that that is. But can I remind you, though there are busier times and easier times in serving the Lord, it ought to always be that we are diligent in applying ourselves to the work of the Lord. Say, preacher, I'm going through a season in life. Things have changed. I'm not able to do the things that I used to do. You still ought to be serving him. Preacher, my health won't let me the way that it once would. There's things I wish I could do that I couldn't do. Yeah, there might be things that you couldn't do, but there's always something you can do. Instead of being paralyzed by what you can't do, you ought to get busy with what you can do. Well, to always be serving the Lord to the greatest of our ability and to the best of our capacity. So, uh, you know, when we read about Mary and Joseph, it's just a reminder to me. My responsibility is the same. Even after the cookies are gone and the tree's down and the family's gone and the decorations start to go, I still ought to be as fervent and faithful in my responsibility to him. But then what about this second individual? There's a man by the name of Simeon. I envision him as an old man. The text doesn't say he's an old man, but it certainly he is talking like someone that believes death is just around the corner. Uh, and I think it's reasonable to imagine he's probably an aged individual. But whether or not he is, the, the substantive or salient things about his life remain the same. Look at verse 25. The Bible says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now, what does the text mean when it says the consolation of Israel? Well, it means he was waiting for the Messiah, the hope that God had had given to Israel, the promise that God had given of a Messiah to save them and to deliver them. I would love for it to be able to be said about my life, about the life of Toby Weber, that when you stripped every extraneous matter away, that was what was at the very heart and core of my being is my desire to please the Lord and to see him face to face one day. I love the fact that there's probably a lot of things you could say about this man, Simeon. But the Holy Ghost distills it all down to say, here's a man that was waiting for the Messiah. That was the reason that his heart beat. That was the reason that his lungs breathed. That's the reason that he got up in the morning. We could say it this way. For this man, his reason remained the same. We're fond of saying that, aren't we? It's the reason for the season. And, I, you know, again, I'm not being cynical. He is. He's the reason for every season. But I think that sometimes we allow ourselves, maybe just through social pressure, maybe because we enjoy the the festivity of the season, sometimes we give him a place of preeminence throughout December that he deserves every month of the year. He's not just the reason for everything then. He ought to be the reason for everything always. For Simeon, man, he was always the reason. The reason for what? Well, in verse 25, he was Simeon's reason for looking The Bible says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Every single day he had gotten confirmation from the Lord that God was not going to remove him from this world until he had seen the Lord's Christ, until he had seen God's Messiah. And he woke up every day looking in anticipation to being able to see the coming of the Messiah. You know, we all live the same way. Living every day waiting to see him. Waiting. Our every moment could be our last. Waiting every moment to serve him with fervor and vigor because we do not know when we're going to see him. He ought to be our reason for looking. And listen, there can be a lot of stargazing that Christians engage in. And and, and there's a lot of, you You see a lot of it in the charismatic movement. There's There's everywhere you look, there's this is a sign, that is a sign, this is a sign, that is a sign. You say, preacher, what should we be looking for? We should be looking for him. We should be longing for him. Our focus should be upon him. God may do things in a myriad of ways that you or I may not anticipate or understand. But here's what we know. The reason for our anticipation, our blessed hope. That's what the Bible calls it. The blessed hope of the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be looking for his coming. He's the reason for our looking. Look at verse 26. The Bible says this. It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the Spirit, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. I like this fellow. Here's what he says, I've seen Jesus, I'm ready to die now. Now, we understand that that should not breed in us any sort of suicidal tendencies, nor do I think it did for Simeon. I don't think he was saying, I can't wait to die. I think he was saying, I have done what you have called me to do, Lord, and now I know that this promise has been fulfilled, and Lord, I'm ready when you're ready. I don't think he was saying, I'm going to take myself out of this world. I think he was saying, I'm content, I'm satisfied. I've seen the faithfulness and promise of God come to fruition. In other words, his whole reason for living was to see the Messiah. You know, that ought to be our reason for living too. That we might please him, that we might see him. I understand that, you know, you or I, we may live to see the rapture. But whether we do or not, it ought to be that our anticipation is to live in such a way as to be pleasing when we see him, to be for him to be pleased with us when we to do all things. I like how John says it, well pleasing in his sight. His reason for living remained the same, and ours should even now. Our life shouldn't just be about the Lord during Christmas. It should always be that that's the case. And then I like verse thirty three. The Bible says, Joseph and his mother marvelled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I I don't necessarily understand everything that Simeon understood. And I cannot say with utter authority that, that he understood all of the sort of nuts and bolts of God's redemptive plan. But his statement in these verses betrays the fact that he at least understands that this child will be given a sacrifice of sorts. In other words, he didn't just see in him a Messiah. He saw in him a savior. And what he was saying to Mary is this child is the hope for all of humanity. This man undoubtedly went to his grave leaning upon what the Messiah would do to procure salvation. For those that put their faith in him, I would say it this way. Our reason for leaning ought to remain the same. We ought to still be leaning on him. If <laughs> You've had a Christmas like some have. You've had to lean on him this year. Sometimes because you're real spiritual and sometimes because you just about to fall over. <laughs> but, you know, he ought to still be leaned upon day by day. You You need him just as much now as you needed him then. You need him just as much going into this new year as you did in all of the bedlam and chaos and, and all of the intensity of this past month. We ought to still be leaning on him day by day. I'm going to give you one final one and then I'll be done tonight. There's another individual in this text. It's an older lady. We are told that she is an, an older woman and her name is Anna. The Bible says this in verse 36. There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. In other words, she had been married for seven years, and she was a widow of about four score and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. So this lady was approximately 91 years old. The Bible says in verse 38, she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked, for redemption in Jerusalem. Now, we're not told a lot about anything that she particularly says. We're told the type of things she said. When she sees him, the Bible says she gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Likewise, she saw other people rejoicing in the Lord. So she started rejoicing in the Lord. She saw Simeon rejoicing in the Lord. So she started rejoicing in the Lord. And then once she is aware of who this Christ child is, she goes running around and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. By the way, I think this isn't my message, but isn't it interesting that she knew all those that were looking for redemption in Jerusalem? You know, people, people that serve in the Lord, they, they get to know one another. <laughs> and she knew. She knew their addresses. She had them on, on lock. She knew where to find them. So here's this lady. She's 91 years old. She's lived a lot of lonely years. I shouldn't say lonely. The Lord's been her help. And the Lord has been her comfort. But for 91 years, she has lived. And she has not had the comfort and enjoyment, we presume anyways, of, of children. And she's not of of a, of a husband But the Lord has been sufficient for her through this entire time. And when she finally sees the Christ child, she's overcome with joy and begins to rejoice at what a glorious day it was. Let me say it this way. Not only should our responsibility and our reason remain the same, but our rejoicing should remain the same even after the tree is down. You know, I hope Christmas is a happy time for you. I know it's a hard time for a lot of people. I'm aware of that and... I think that, you know, even though we we talk about how hard a time it is for some, it's because it is such a joyous season that we're afraid that those that are suffering will have to suffer in silence and feel left behind. But the exception to the rule only proves the rule itself. Christmas is often a very happy time where we're rejoicing in what Christ has done. Or we're praising the Lord for his goodness, for his blessing, for his faith. Let me tell you something. If you gave anybody anything other than coal in the middle of Bidenomics, you got something to praise God for. God did that. And oftentimes we spend this time just rejoicing in how wonderful and wondrous the Lord is. Wonder if January feels as dreary as it does because we quit praising him. Wonder if that's part of the reason it seems so hard when we get into the new year. Maybe because we somehow consolidate all that praise and then lay back and rest on our laurels and we don't rejoice in them as much as we did during the previous month. This woman, she's still praising God even after the initial birth of the Lord. Notice three things about her. One, we see that her prayers were constant. The Bible says this, she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She departed not from the temple. That's all she did was she served the Lord day by day. She prayed day in and day out. She wasn't just praying in fits and spurts, but she was praying consistently day after day. I feel like we would get more done if, if we would, how do I say this? If we would pray less impressively, but more consistently than we would if we took it in fits and spurts of, of supplicative fervor of saying, Or I'm going to get serious about God and I'm going to pray. Hey, you know what would probably help you and I more? Is if we just finally carve out that time that we've been meaning to day by day. And just, you say, but preacher, sometimes I'll pray and it ain't spectacular. Well, most of the time I preach and it ain't. Most of the time when you're around, you ain't. (laughs) But if you'll go ahead and just pray and just consistently seek the Lord day by day, you'll see God do amazing things through your prayer life. She's praying and her prayers are constant. But then not only was her prayers constant, but her praise was instant. I like it. The Bible says, verse 38, she coming in that instant gave thanks. Likewise, unto the Lord, she didn't wait till an appropriate time. Because any time to praise the Lord is an appropriate time. She came in that instant. Well, why? Because he was there in that instant. I wonder how often we try to bank up our praise for the Lord and then altogether neglect it. I love the fact that we do things around here that give specific dedicated opportunities to praise him. I I love We do the bonfire and and have testimonies and we do our praise prayer and pie and do testimonies and, and everything. But there ain't nothing wrong with praising him just any old time. He's worthy of it just all the time. And maybe our religion would seem less a formality to a broken pagan world if they saw that just as our God was instantaneous in our life, so likewise our praise is as well. Her praise was instant, but then I like this, her proclamation was abundant. She spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She didn't just get a few. She went around to everybody who would listen and told them what had happened. She tried to find any audience that she could. Anybody she knew that was interested in this, she went and found them. Listen, again, and I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but I, I... I understand the great, wonderful opportunities there are to witness in December. But, you know, maybe we have those great opportunities because we're looking for them. And maybe if we'd start looking for them in January, February, March, we'd find out that God has divine appointments that he is setting for us day by day all throughout this earthly sojourn. I found it to be true in my life that if I ain't looking for an opportunity to witness, I won't find one. But if I'll open my eyes and start looking, and try to find some opportunity to tell somebody about Christ, wouldn't you know it? There's people everywhere. I mean, have you lived in Knoxville in the last ten years? You can't even move without tripping over people. Uh, You know, everywhere you go, there's people lost, broken, helpless, hopeless, in need of the gospel. And so here's the simple truth I want you to understand tonight. He was worth it two weeks ago. He's worth it tonight. All the things that we've applied ourselves to over the past month, God bless you for them. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. He's still worthy of those things now. And if you want your January to look as productive as your December, if you want your February to look as glorious as this Christmas season, I think really all we have to do, we don't need the tree. We don't need the decorations. We don't have to have the gifts. We don't have to have the sweets or the food. If you want to bake all that, that's, you know, I'm I'm for it. (laughs) But we don't need all of that. You see, it was always him that made the difference. When we place a focus on him, it makes a difference. You want to make a difference. Do the things you've been doing over the past three weeks, but just keep on doing them because he's still worth it. He's still the reason. He's still worthy of all that we can give and do for him. Let's bow our heads tonight. A musician's going to come play. I'm just going to give you an opportunity. I don't know what the Lord may have done in your heart tonight. We said a lot of things. But if God dealt with you about some matter, here's what I think you ought to do. I think you ought to just meet him in the altar. And I think you ought to just bow head and heart before him. And whatever it is that he spoke to you about, you ought to just say, Lord, I want to do better about this. I need your help. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. And just let him have his will and way in this time. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.